Today's podcast is brought to you by Ant Bee's Homemade Creations brand new website finally getting out from underneath the yoke of Etsy. Very exciting times. They have custom jewelry and candles and creams to cure your various ailments. But most of all, they've got a good-looking skull named Fred. Go check them out. We'll put the link in our description this week, but it's ant-bs-homemade-creations.square.site. Exciting times. Go check it out. A great spot to get unique Christmas gifts. Only, I have no idea how many how many days left. But it's after Halloween. It's time to play Mariah Carey. It's Christmas season. Great opportunity to find something unique and special. Go check them out. That's Aunt B's Homemade Creations on their brand new website. I've got me a jasmine-scented Fred on its way, and I can't wait. I love a good candle. Go check them out and enjoy the show. I'm Josh. And I am Alyssa. And we are back with today's episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. I am an old, long-time reader of the Dresden Files. And this is my first time through. But together, we dig through it, and once in a while, Lissy has a good idea, and I agree with (laughs) it. How are you doing today, Liss? I'm doing pretty well. Oh, goodness gracious. I am okay myself, thanks for not asking. You're like Murphy Murphy on a friend's birthday. Exactly. I... Don't have a lot. Oh, yeah. No, I don't. I had announced to my team that I was leaving town. I was hitting the bricks on them at the end of the session last night. And boy, oh, boy, you ever want to see a bunch of teenagers cry? There's probably a better way to do it. But that way is certainly one of them. I also cried quite a bit because I am a crier. Not not like Paul Revere. (laughs) Although I can certainly get a small town rallied if you need me to. But that's not the type of town crier I'm talking about. Gotcha. (laughs) Goodness gracious. Again, for the 17th week in a row, we're recording on a non-traditional day. This time, because you were up in the lovely Pacific Northwest. What do you think of the Pacific Northwest? Should somebody move there? I think you might want to. I mean, it's quite lovely. It was a little chilly, Ooh. but the leaves were beautiful. Everything was gorgeous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You were not in the 206 sickness, of course. You I were further it. south. Yes. And my, I checked Oregon off of my list, though. I'd never been there. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Have I been to Oregon? I don't think I've been to Oregon. Lovely. Next well, year, I'm- October 12th. No, I'm going to drive through, actually. Oh, next okay. M- next, next month, I'll be there. On my way through it. But, and I also 
just today, this morning, secured mm-hmm. tickets to a kid that I used to coach is now pitching for the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA. How somebody, exciting. Somebody do eight claps real quick. He, uh, yeah, no, he's a stud. He's a sophomore this year. He is going to make money playing baseball. How much money? Who knows? He, <laughs> he had a choice in front of him. It was either be an Olympian in water polo or make money playing baseball. Hey. I hate it when kids are that like talented and that's amazing. Good that's at cool. stuff, charismatic and tall and pretty. Yeah, no, he's got a uh, tough life ahead of him. This poor soul. <laughs> Honestly, truly, he hasn't had a struggle yet. Maybe he, maybe he will. Uh, but no, he's he's worked his ass off to be successful at multiple things, and he's currently getting going to get a free degree from the University of California, Los Angeles. Maybe a hoid of it, and he's going to get drafted here after his junior year, which is how it works in baseball. But uh, he touches mid, or he he sits. Mid nineties, he touches like ninety six, ninety seven. Good for him. Little arm side run on his fastball there as a righty. Unfortunately, he's a righty, and they're a dime a dozen. But he is the man. Um, but he also was a really good water polo player, and I coached him for a few years. And so he, uh, I told him I was moving up north, and I said, if you if you guys are going to UW this year, let me know. And he already gave me the dates and said he's got tickets. So I got free tickets to UCLA UW baseball. Awesome. So, Coming up this April. It is not what you know, Liz. It is not. It is 100% who you know. It is who you know. And I know Mr. McElroy. So very excited about that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the cat's out of the bag as far as I've already sent it to this podcast. I've sent it to the world a number of times. <laughs> but I haven't sent it to the children that I coach every day because they had a tournament this last weekend. It went incredibly well. And, yeah, I might be leaving a really good team. I mean, I am leaving a really good yeah. team. I might, might be leaving a really good team, but who knows how these things shake out. But either way, anything exciting? What did you learn on your trip? Did you learn anything about yourself? You, you ate, you prayed, you loved. I ate some really yummy food. Oh, good. I saw a beautiful waterfall, and I went to a town where I was looking for a fall festival to save to find myself in a Halmar town. So, Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, and I hung out with my friend Sam and got to meet one of his kids folk from san jose they don't know what christmas is really about <laughs> exactly oh goodness gracious i <laughs> we caught up in a hallmark i personally love a good hallmark movie and by a good hallmark movie there aren't any so i love myself a hallmark movie although anything with lacey chabert is already <laughs> we talking about her this morning how she's on all the already, it's already elevated <laughs> But I've been caught up in a couple as uh, me and mom are trying to. Uh, I, I, I've been trying to do some on the way out the door. Mother son time, uh-huh. which is good to do mother son time all the time. And we I try to I, I feel like I do an OK job. Mediocre, certainly no worse than middle of the pack. But um, we used to watch Stranger Things and then we just never got through it. So we restarted season three of Stranger Things last night. Watch like three in a row, which is like for us a long time to be sitting. And we're like all in on season three. We're going to try to get through season three and season four over the next couple of weeks. I don't know if we're going to, but, uh, but yeah, while I was making dinner last night and waiting for her Hallmark movie to be over so we could watch major things, <laughs> there was a Hallmark movie on and it was one I'd never seen before. 
which isn't actually is actually relatively rare at this point. <laughs> uh, wasn't as good as some of the others, but they did save Christmas in the end. The city boy decided that what he really needed was a small town gal. Shockingly, and Shock it all worked it. out. I'm so very good times. Very good times on the Hallmark Channel. That's fantastic. Goodness gracious. Anything else exciting in your neck of the woods? You just got that, back to your neck of the woods. Just does your neck of the woods still exist? Is it still it cold? It does. It's not as cold as it was up in uh, the PDX, but, uh, you know. Oregon, as we call it. Yes. Oregon. <laughs> they love it. People from Oregon love it when you call it Oregon. <laughs> well, in I when I lived in Ohio, there was an area of Dayton called the Oregon District. I was <laughs> like, you mean the Oregon District? They're like, it's the Oregon District. I said, okay, well, you're saying it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, apparently not. You're saying the district name wrong. <laughs> you know, Oregon actually has like a crazy racist history. Like it was founded, mm -hmm. like specifically to be like an all white bastion on the West Coast. Like it's like super yeah. fucked up. Things that like we grew up next door, and I never learned this because God forbid you learn American history when you're learning about American history. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the kids would hate America. This mm -hmm. is literally Ron Santos's plan. To make sure kids don't hate America, yeah. like, don't let them learn about the history of America, which is absurd. I love America. I just also like a lot like I love the Dresden Files. I think oh, we should do all these things better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, George Washington didn't have wooden teeth. He had a he had a mouthful of slave teeth. Slave teeth. Yeah. Another thing they don't teach you in elementary school. Either way, I love Oregon now. Your racist past does nothing says nothing about who you are now. I have a number of great friends from Oregon, as I like to call it, because they don't like it when I call it that. My group of, I have a couple of groups of friends from college. I reference a number of times, both of them, but one of them is my college polo team friends, kind of my OC polo friends. The other is what we call the, the Pentagon of Trust. <laughs> oh, goodness. Because there's five of us. Two, two fifths, 40 per, a whole 40% of the Pentagon. If I recall, it's top left and bottom right leg, top left roof and bottom right leg of the Pentagon are both Oregonian. So, mm -hmm. A lot of much love for the, uh, what is that? State? Beaver state. What is that? It is the Beaver state. It I is got the it. Beaver state. That's awesome. I got it before the Googles. <laughs> much love for the Google for. Much love for the Google state. <laughs> oh my goodness, I love it. Much love for the Beaver state. Either way, especially as a former Beaver coach myself, I coached at California Institute of Technology and the Beaver, as we all know, nature's engineer. There you go. All righty, at the risk of talking for the entirety of this podcast about nonsense, how about we talk about some sense? All right, sounds like a plan. Okay, so in the previous 12 chapteronies we have learned that harry has a mini chicago that he wants to work some spells with little uh, chicago as it's called little chicago mini chicago same same it is a mini chicago it's a mini chicago it is capital l capital c little chicago <laughs> the little chicago molly called him stating he had she'd been arrested she hadn't it was her boyfriend he made a deal with her that he would bail boyfriend out and she had to go home. So they went to the 
good old Carpenter homestead, and there was some conflict there. Then we head out to the splatter con exclamation point exclamation point exclamation point and big bad ooh scary guy starts uh hacking people up with a sickle and obviously it was some magical shit because there was some murky gross greasy air that made the flashlight not work and there was tried to wards trying to prevent harry to get into the room to save people and it was a lot of big bad he gets the the uh Lots of bad shit happened in this place. A couple of people got hurt. Rollins, shoot, shoot, bang, bang, and nothing happens. And so Harry Fazores, and he goes through the projector, through the projector screen and into the wall, into a oozing bit of ectoplasm. Orzare. There's an R in that word. <laughs> do I always forget? I always forget. I always say Fazare. I know you uh, do. And I uh, always say Orzare in the background because <laughs> I just love the exclamation that uh, as Mark. I love it. And that's what you missed on Glee. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Exactly. Same, same vibe, same vibe. Goodness gracious me. Goodness gracious me. I appreciate it, Ice. Thank you for catching us up. We hop back in in chapter 13. Right after the attack of the bemasked and besickled. <laughs> Bad guy. And there's EMTs rushing through the party, taking care of what we can. Harry is staying with the injured girl that we saw earlier. And it turns out she's Rosie and she's not in any immediate danger. She's the one that had a broken collarbone, if memory serves. And she's not in immediate danger. So the EMTs kind of brush past her to get to the disemboweled fellow. Among others. Well, I think he's just a poor bunch of meat at this point. Ouchies. No, I don't think he's that either. I think he's I think he's done feeling all the ouchies, <laughs> which is, I guess, as good as it gets. Once you've been disemboweled, all you want to do is stop feeling the ouchies. But Harry's kind of just staying with her, this woman to try to make her feel better basically and keep her keep her calm until the EMTs have a second lap to take care of the next round of victims and as he's sitting there we see Molly basically sprint up and throw herself down next to the girl she exclaims Rosie oh my god and Harry tries to make sure that she doesn't grab her hug her or embrace her because she has a broken collarbone and she's kind of like upset like she's hurt why haven't they put her in an ambulance she's not in immediate danger two other people were the ambulance took them first she's going on the next one she asks what happened he says he's not sure you know they were attacked and the girl says molly i'm here rosie i'm right here my god he killed them he killed them her breathing began to come faster building towards panic you're safe now it's all right Baby, is the baby all right? Molly bit her lip and looked at me. She's pregnant? Three months. She just found out. The baby, will the baby be all right? They're going to do everything possible to make sure you're both all right, I said immediately. Try not to worry about it too much. And Molly asked Rosie what happened. 
she says, you know, they're sitting there watching their, you know, their favorite scene in the movie that happened. And so they're getting ready to go. And the lights went out. And when they could see again, he was there. Who? The Reaper. Like in the movie, someone in a costume? It couldn't be. It was him. It was really him. The next medical team arrived and headed for him. So Harry steps back. When they laid her on her side, he could see several small round marks, irregular bruises, and damaged capillaries just under the surface of the skin at the bend of her arm. Molly kind of saw him looking and stared at him and then helped the EMTs throw a blanket over Rosie and her track marks. And she told the EMTs that she's frightened. Let me ride with her. Help keep her calm. And they didn't really want, you know, one of those where they're just like, uh, fine, 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 basically. Mm. And they tell Harry they'll be back for him in a second. He's like, what? no, 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 for his head injury. But he's like, no, 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 I got that. I didn't get that here. I'm good. So they end up cycling out. And as the, right after they take the girl out, we see a man in a suit comes and talks to Rollins and they kind of like gesture at Harry. He ends up coming over towards Harry with his watery blue eyes. And he sits down and says, you're Dresden. Most days, my name is Detective Sergeant Green. I'm with Homicide. Tough job. Most days. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like their, like, again, they're kind of back and forth kind of rhymes, which I like. He basically asks Harry what happened, and he explains it to him. A couple things I love about this conversation is how Harry tries to kind of weave in, like, what he actually did without trying to get too spooky about it. But also like there's points where he just has to, if you want to want to know what happened, I mean, this is what happened, right? You're a civilian, Mr. Dresden. It's Rollins job to help people. Why don't you just head for the door? It was an emergency. I helped. You're heroes. That it. I was there. People needed help. I tried to. Sure. Sure. So what were you doing to help? Holding the light. <laughs> Didn't Rollins have his own flashlight? Can't have too many flashlights. <laughs> I love it. Such a great back and forth. He describes the attacker as almost seven feet tall, built like a battleship. 300, 325, hockey mask, sickle. What happened? He attacked the girl. There were other people behind him already down. He was about to cut her throat with a sickle. Rollins shot him. Shot at him since we don't have a dead bad guy on the floor. Shot at him. I don't know if he hit him. Bad guy dropped the girl and swung the sickle at Rollins. Rollins blocked it with his flashlight. Then what? Then I hit the guy. Hit him how? I used magic. Blew him 30 feet down the aisle and threw the projector in the movie screen. He slapped his pen down on the notebook and gave me a flat look. Hey, you asked. Or maybe he turned to run. Knock the projector over and jump through the screen to get to the back of the room. That makes you feel better. And then what? And then he was gone. He ran out the door. No, we were pretty much right next to the door. He went through the screen, hit the wall behind it, and poof, gone. I don't know how. Do you know where Nelson Lenhart is? No, why would I? He apparently attacked someone else at this convention today. Beat him savagely. You bailed him out of jail. Maybe you're friends with him. 
Not really. Seems a little odd you drop $2,000 to bail this guy out when you're not friends with. Yeah. Why'd you do it? I had personal reasons. Which are? Hmm. Personal. <laughs> I just love every part of that exchange. And then, you know, he, tells so him he, doesn't, he tells him he doesn't understand, and maybe you can help me out. Could you tell me again what happened? And he basically makes him repeat it over and over and over. Mm-hmm. That's says, an old four, homicide detective trick. <laughs> four more times where he just continues to explain it. And, you know, we go through this thought where, like, the difference between a guy like Rollins and a guy like Green, they're both good cops who want to do right by everyone involved. But Rollins has seen some shit. And so Rollins' brain is prepared to deal with the things that are actually happening. Yes, I agree. Green just hasn't. So Green is, is trying to deal with this like real life and, you know, the things that we understand. And it's just not, you know, <laughs> he's a guy that goes home to his house and 2.3 kids and dog. They're both long, right? Now he asks him again, like, all right, Mr. Dresden, I'm still unclear about a few points. Now, when the lights went out, what did you do? I already told you this five times. I know, I know. But sometimes repeating things can jiggle forgotten little details loose. So if you don't mind, can you tell me about when it went dark? He closes his eyes and fought a sudden and overwhelming temptation to levitate green to the ceiling and leave him there for a while. I love that. Which is both funny and petty, but also would make green understand that there's magic afoot. Yeah. So I actually don't think it's a bad move, but I digress. But Murphy shows up, gives him a cup of coffee. Which is, she's true angel of mercy. I agree with him. Oh, absolutely. And also with a bunch of sugar in it, so he can't taste the coffee. Because she knows. She knows how he drinks it. Mm-hmm. Hot and sweet. And she said, Detective Green, Lieutenant, I didn't realize I called Special Investigations for help. Maybe somebody <laughs> bumped the speed dial on my phone. Oh, wait, I'm a mistake. You aren't on my speed dial. <laughs> Just like that exchange. You know, she tells him she'll find who, I'll find out who done it. I'll tell you so you can get the caller. <laughs> and, you know, he doesn't want her involved. And she basically threatens him to go to the, the press and say that he's refusing assistance in finding a murderer because of departmental rivalry. Which, it, I mean, kind of. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, there's just no reason to, like, not have more people involved in. As long as they're not, like, there is actually a reason. Too many cooks is a real thing. But, like, there's no reason to not have more people, like, helping. I agree. Completely. As long as they're following orders and respecting the hierarchy. She suggested that she was interested in doing. The exchange is fine, because he's being a kind of a macho douchebag, and she macho douchebags back in his face that mm-hmm. you know like, where he says does someone does calling someone an overbearing egotistical bitch com- could constitute sexual harassment come to the gym sometime and we'll discuss it <laughs> i love at, that i love asked, it <laughs> and her response is i'll kick your ass let's go let's fucking talk about it yeah come on down motherfucker <laughs> so, and certainly i don't love that a cop leans into gender douchebaggery. Uh-huh. But that is certainly, I can't imagine anything more natural for, for that character. <laughs> and also Murphy's response is very good. So 
they exchanged cards. You know, they, they eventually, you know, they basically give in and decide they're going to help each other. Or I guess Green gives in, but they, they exchange cards and numbers. Murphy asks if he's, if Green has had Harry running in a circle. He says, for an hour. It's annoying, but it really does work. Green's probably the best homicide detective in the state. If he had a personality, he'd have made captain by now. <laughs> so, you know, Harry tells her he's, he doesn't think she's, he, he doesn't, Harry doesn't think Green is going to be much help on this one. And so, you know, Murphy asks for the rundown. Harry complains that he hasn't finished his coffee, but still gives it to her. But, you know, Murphy makes basically the correct assessment that it's got to be from the spirit world because he got shot full of bullets, didn't die, and then got dissolved into goo. Mm-hmm. You know, Harry, I love this next exchange, mostly just because I'm a Star Wars guy, but... Reasonable. Murphy asks, any chance you killed it? I didn't hit it all that hard. Must have had some kind of self-destruct, which is a great reference to Empire. Um, Murphy says... Damn it, missing the reference. No one loves the classics anymore. <laughs> Will it come back? Your guess is as good as mine. That's not good enough. I'll see what I can figure out. How's Rollins? So Rollins has a couple stitches. And then they go over and look at, you know, Harry flips over the kind of the tin where the film was running from and realizes that Suburban Slasher 2 was the film. And the bad guy in said film is called the reaper and he's a gigantic battleship of a villain about 300 325 seven feet tall wearing a hockey mask and using a sickle as his weapon of choice and this exchange which is brilliant that it took eight novels to get here (laughs) where murphy says you think it was someone You think this was someone trying to look like the Reaper character? Someone? Or something? (laughs) It's such a classic horror line. It is. That I love that it finally comes up here. That's how long he's been waiting to use that one. He says, years. The opportunity doesn't come up as often as you think. (laughs) Fantastic. Truly. It's just so good because Harry is the type of guy that would absolutely use that line at a horror movie convention. As frequently as you could. Oh, absolutely. But also specifically in this scenario, Uh at a horror movie convention, he would use horror movie cliches as much as he could. Oh, yeah. He uses a lot of like movie references and I I fully appreciate that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I too use movie references. I make references to movies and on, on the weekends I work with someone who is 26. Our frame of reference is very different as I am 44. I will make movie references and I'll look at me like, you didn't get that, did, she, did you? She's like, no. We made a uh, Beavis and Butthead reference the other day, me and one of the other girls, and she looked at us like we were crazy. I was like, oh, tragedy. Again, again try working with literal children. <laughs> and making your, making your same references that you want to make. <laughs> I love it. That's spectacular. Goodness gracious. Um, Harry mentions Clark Pell and, you know, specifically asks about the theater down the street where they're hosting movies also for this convention. 
and he asked Murph to figure out what movie was showing there earlier. And I know this is exposition and important just to, you know, save unnecessary time in the story. I don't know if there's a good reason for Murph to have this answer. I think there kind of is it just in a different way, not because not because of the plot of the story, but because it's in the details. She would get all of the details about what happened when it all happened. Well, but sure, but the theater wasn't involved. The assault happened at the convention. I still think she would just get information about what was going on. I really do. I I agree she would do that i don't think this is part of that information that would make it into that list you know it doesn't matter again it's important for the story so it's again like those things we talked about last week that like aren't realistic but mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't care <laughs> this one's a little bit more sore thummy but i'm it's not the end of the world but they needed this just to make this make this conversation pop right here mm-hmm. where she says she already checked and they were playing a movie called Hammer Hands. Harry describes it as an oldie but a goodie. Ruffians push this farmer out onto a out onto train tracks, and the train cuts his hands off at the wrists. They leave him for dead, but he survives. Insane. Straps sledgehammer heads to the stumps and hunts them down one at a time. My question is, how do you strap sledgehammer hands to your stumps without Hands. You strap it to your arms. Forearms. So I got forearms. No, no, no. How do you pull the straps? How do you wrap the straps? You have help. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Duh. Sure. Either way. And Clark Pell was the victim beaten here today earlier, Murphy said. Badly beaten. With some kind of blunt instrument. Maybe it's a coincidence. She frowned. <laughs> Can someone do that? Bring movie monsters to life? Sort of looks that way. Now, she asks how they stop him, and he says, like, well, tomorrow night there's going to be a big movie fest where half a dozen films are showing, lots of monsters that aren't nearly as friendly as Hammerhands or the Reaper. And she, you know, she asks if it's possible that it could be mundane bad guys dressing up. And he says he doubts it, but it's possible. And so they basically give that angle to green and they focus fully on the supernatural angle. So Harry wants to talk to the victims and she recognizes that he can't do a God, a dadgum thing at this point. Cause he is exhausted and still concussed and he looks like hell. And she says she wants to talk to Pell if he's even awake by now, but in the morning they can get to everybody else. And he obviously wants to come back the next day to track him down. But she helps him up. Again, there's a line there where she hauls up this giant beanpole and he calls her stronger than she looks. Can you give me a ride home? She already had her keys in her hand. Do I look like your driver? (laughs) Thanks, Murph. Again, more evidence of his lingering concussion where he says usually he has to shorten his steps to match Murphy's. But tonight, she was waiting for him. I don't think it's just a concussion, though. It's his whole body hurts. Well, yeah, but concussion and fatigue and all that. Kind of adding up, right? Oh, yeah. And I do like this exchange where she says, Harry, 
What if we can't find out who's doing it in time? We'll find them. But what if we don't? Then we fight monsters. Damn right we do. I like that a lot. Absolutely. <laughs> just especially how like into it Murphy's just like, yeah, that's what we do. Yep. Hopefully that's not what we have to do. But it is. If it is, that's what we do. We got it. Yeah. She's all she's all in. Yeah, Murphy knows how to put on the boots. Oh yeah. Hundred percent. All right. So Murphy drives him home and they have this conversation in the car. She asks, who are you watching for? Because he was looking for his tail. And you're just now telling me about it? No sense worrying you over nothing. Whoever he is, he's not there now. Same one who ran you off the road, do you think? Something tells me no. He wasn't making any effort to avoid being spotted. For all I know, he could just be a PI gathering information on me for the lawsuit. And so we talk about the lawsuit from Larry Fowler, where he burned down the studio and shot up his car. Which is such a good recurring background thing. Uh It's like, it's so dumb. And we saw it. He didn't actually do any of these things. Mm -hmm. But Larry Fowler doesn't believe he's a wizard. The only way he could be guilty of these things is if he's a wizard. Uh And Larry Fowler's still suing him for it, right? I just love it. It's great. When you dig into it, it's just like, actually, the layers of that lawsuit are so good. Oh, yeah. That wasn't my fault. That's for a court to decide, Murphy said in a pious tone. And we learned that Harry has a a lawyer who's helping him. Um, It was a guy who he helped his daughter find her lost dog. He's giving me a hand with the legal process, enough so it hasn't actually bankrupted me. But it just keeps going and going. Harry, Murph asked after a while, are you all right? Hungry. A little tired. You look like you're hurting. Maybe a little achy. Not that kind of hurt. Oh, that. That. You look like you're bleeding somehow. I'll get over it. Is this about last Halloween? Then she talks about how they found bodies, a corpse at the the field museum, savaged by an animal, three different blood types on the floor. And at Kent College, they found eight dead bodies. Six of them had no discernible means of death. One had its head half-severed by a surgically sharp blade. The other had a forty-four round to the back of the head. You killed them. I didn't do the headless guy. You killed them. It's eating at you. It shouldn't. I've killed lots of things. True. But they weren't fairies or vampires or monsters this time. They were people. And they weren't in the heat of battle when they died. You made the choice cold. More or less. Harry, you're tearing yourself up over it. You've got to talk to someone. It it doesn't have to be me or here, but you've got to do it. There's no shame in feeling bad about killing someone. Not for any reason. I let out a short little laugh. It tasted bitter. You're the last person I'd expect to tell me not to feel bad about committing murder. Sort of surprised myself. But, <laughs> but damn it, Harry, you remember when I shot Agent Denton? Yeah. Took me some time to deal with it. I too, I mean, I knew he'd lost it and he was going to kill you if he if I didn't do it, but it made me feel stained to take a life. And those poor people the vampires had controlled at the shelter, that was even worse. All of those people were trying to kill you, Murph. You had to do it. You didn't have an option. You thought about it. You knew that when you pulled the trigger. Do you think you had an option? Maybe. 
Maybe not. The point is that I never bothered to consider it. Never hesitated. I just wanted them dead. What if the council is right about me? What if I grow into some kind of monster? One who takes life without consideration for anything but his own will. Who cares more about the end than the means. More about might than right. What if this is the first step? Do you think it is? I don't. Because if you do, Harry, then it probably is. And if you decide that it isn't, it probably isn't. The power of positive thinking? No. Free will. You can't change what has already happened. But you choose what to do next. Which means that you only cross over to the dark side if you choose to do it. What makes you think I won't? So she reaches over and touches his chin. Because I'm not an idiot, unlike some other people in the, this car. And he grabs her hands. Careful, that was almost a compliment. You're a decent man. Painfully oblivious sometimes, but you've got a good heart. It's why you're so hard on yourself. You're tired, hungry, and hurting, and you saw the bad guys do something you couldn't stop. Your morale is low, that's all. Maybe you're right. Hell's bells, I've got to stop feeling sorry for myself and get to work. Start with food and rest. If you don't hear from me, I assume I'll pick you up in the morning. We sat there holding hands for a minute. Karen, I asked, have you ever thought about, you know, us? Sometimes. Me too. But the timing always seems to be off somehow. I noticed. Do you think it'll ever be right? I don't know. Maybe sometime. It would change a lot of things. It would. You're my friend, Harry. No matter what happens, sometimes in, in the past, I, I haven't really done right by you. Like when you handcuffed me in my office? Right. When you chipped one of my teeth arresting me? I chipped a tooth? And when... Yes, all right. The point is, I should have seen that you were one of the good guys a lot sooner than I did. And I'm sorry. Jerk. That it cost her something. Murphy has more pride than is good for her. And yes... <laughs> Don't we all? I'm yet, and yes, I'm aware of the proverb about glass houses and stone. <laughs> and she says, if we ever did get together, I'd kill you inside a week. Now go get some rest. You're useless to me like this. So they, they're going to meet the next morning. And my feelings about Murphy were still in a hopelessly complicated tangle. Maybe I should have said something to her sooner, shared my feelings with her sooner acted more swiftly than taken the initiative. Be careful, she said. Why did I feel like I'd been too careful already? Hmm. It's an interesting conversation there, though, for sure. Oh, deaf. Deaf, deaf, deaf. But I do think she'd kill him. <laughs> yeah, I have thoughts on that chapter we'll get to later on. His Mickey Mouse alarm clock goes off at 7 a.m. I love it. We've talked about this clock before, and he has, he has thoughts that he attaches to this alarm clock. It's just another one of those funny things that I think Lissy mentioned it last week or the week before, where like he has his things, like, like his hairy accoutrement that is very... Yes, yes. I was like, his things. I was trying to figure out what, what you meant. <laughs> we had this uh, this thing uh, <laughs> to to belabor the point that thing 
sometimes words can mean lots of things. Mm-hmm. We had this thing in college and beyond, again, with my uh, polo crew, where the word deal mm-hmm. can mean anything. Like the, this, these deals, this deal, like these deals, just as a pronoun for literally anything. <laughs> That's true, though. It can. Yeah, you know, it just depends on how you're phrasing. I think this was a Pentagon discussion also, but whether or not the plural of beer was beers or beer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just remind me of dumb college thoughts. Either way. I love it. Dumb college wordplay. This is what happens when you send your kid to a liberal arts college. (laughs) Go to a school with football. Um, Uh, Hey, excuse me. (laughs) Hey, Air Gauchos. In, in, a, in an incredibly small world fun universe, one of my best friend's older brother, my best friend's growing up, still my best friends, but separate friend, friend groups. If the worlds collide, um, Polo Josh and, and Pentagon Josh cannot become the same. Um, uh, work George and non-work George, either way. Personal George. He was an incredible, successful quarterback to the extent where they refer were referred to during Michael Curtis's tenure as the air gauchos. I love it. So he was a very successful UCSB quarterback and he parlayed, parlayed that into a career playing gridiron football in Italy. If memory serves for a long time, the semi pro it's pro, but you know, hey. not, not the same level, obviously, but yeah, but he was a great Gauchos quarterback. That's fantastic. Did, when did they stop having football? Probably right after Mike graduated. It's 1994, I believe. I have a t-shirt that says uh, UCSB football undefeated since 1994. Oh, that's creative because every f- school that doesn't have a football team has that same shirt. Hey, bite me. <laughs> <laughs> we used to have a football team. Thank you very much. Caltech one year, actually, one of the, one of the World War II years. Went undefeated and won every game by like a million. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> like, honestly, we're probably one of the best teams in the country in 1945 because most of the other schools didn't have bodies. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow, I don't know how the exemptions worked, but it was probably one of the, probably a top 25 team in the country. That's awesome. <laughs> um, I digress. That's fantastic. Um, deal. <laughs> this is one of those good deals, you know, those deals. Uh, that's a key. In- <laughs> uh, best player on our water polo team. Most of the time I was there and our announcer called him Keon. That's how important water polo was <laughs> to our school. <laughs> Absolute star player. They don't say his name right on the home announcing <laughs> that's amazing oh goodness gracious um so harry wakes up from mickey mouse he hops into a shower and as we know he does not have a water heater so he hops into the cold 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 shower he describes his showers are always either cold or colder and given his dating life and the inhuman charms available to some of the beings who occasionally faced off with him it's probably just as well but he does miss again think therefore I think, think therefore it is 
he thinks that he does miss a skin-blistering hot shower once in a while. And suddenly, the water shifted from ice cold to piping hot. Feel weird. Uh-huh. He let out a yelp and danced around the shower until he could redirect the head so it wasn't scalding his bits and pieces. <laughs> but after the initial shock of the temperature change, he leaned into it and let out a long groan. He said, Damn it, I told you to stop that. And Lashiel's voice murmured in a quiet laugh under the sound of the water. He could, he could feel the sensation of fingertips digging into the wire-tight muscles at the base of his neck, easing the soreness away. You should use the technique I taught you last autumn to block out the discomfort. I don't need to. I'll be fine. Your discomfort is my discomfort, my host. Literally, as all my perceptions can come only through your own. This isn't real. The water isn't really hot. No one is actually massaging my neck. It's an illusion you're laying over my senses. Does it not feel soothing? Does it not ease the tension? Yes. What matter, then? It is real enough. <laughs> he tries to physically move her hands away from his neck, mm -hmm. even though her hands aren't physically there. But she also, again, plays along with it. <laughs> hands off. I don't want to start my day with a psychic cage match. But if you push me to it, I will. He wants her to leave, but she says, As you wish. My host, I note that you made no mention of the hot water. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. So he kind of re relents a little bit. And he asks her if she picked up on what happened last night. Indeed. What was your read? That Karen feels a certain distance between the pair of you is a professional necessity that she is considering that time and circumstance might someday render it irrelevant. No, not that. Stars and stones. I don't want dating advice for freaking <laughs> hell part. <laughs> I meant the things that attack the people at the convention. <laughs> I love that. Hell tart. Yes. We may hear about that again. And she says, ah, oh, it was obviously the attack of a spiritual predator. Takes one to no one, I thought. <laughs> you know, he reasons that if that's true, then the attacks weren't about violence. And he, what he saw in the bathroom certainly agrees with that. They're trying to cause pain or fear. And he kind of, again, reasons through that they're trying to devour the psychic energy generated in the victims or something like that. and. She says, that is a somewhat simplistic description, but one that is as close as I expect a mortal to come to understanding. You're a mortality bigot now. Now and always. <laughs> Just love that. She also realizes that he doesn't give a fuck, so she doesn't give a fuck. You know? yeah, kind of, much. No, no, you guys all suck. Believe me. I'm just, I'm stuck here. <laughs> I'm in your mind. I don't want to be. You guys are all trash. Garbage. <laughs> right? Garbage flesh suits. And, you know, he goes on to think that they're going to have a spiritual mauling. And, you know, similar to what Murphy felt 
when she was attacked by the nightmare and we've seen other victims similar to that. He he asks her to kind of give her, explain what she's thinking. And she says that you'd have to release your more, your hold on mortality to understand. And he's like, wait, I have to die. And she's like, again, you only have a partial understanding, but in the interest of expediency, yes, you would have to cease living. <laughs> it's just, she doesn't, Again, just reinforcing that she just very much is a mortality bigot. I just like that. I just like that angle, that characterization of her, which is just makes sense. Kind of part of why they would have fallen in the first place yeah. is my, my understanding. I don't really dig too deep into that lore, but it, you know, God loving these Jamokes more than his powerful angelic creatures was probably part of that thought process. That white God gets up to some funky stuff once in a while. So they reason out that the survivors are going to have had a spiritual mauling. Makes sense. And really the only way for him to like confirm these things is to use the site, which we already know is indelible. And so like, he's going to have to have it, as he describes it, at the top shelf of his mental trophy case. Just, again, adding to the expectation that's going to be another long day. And he tells Lashiel, go away. Leave me the hot water just this once, as you wish. And so he stays in there till he's all shriveled up. He takes the dog out, feeds, feeds the animals. Eat some leftover biscuits from the fridge for breakfast. He goes down to the lab and brings Bob with him, which is interesting. Obviously, he tells him, I might need you today, but there's going to be straights around. So keep your mouth shut unless I open the pack. <laughs> he just says, okay, with a yawn, because he's just lazing about. I love Bob so much. He puts on all his accoutrement. Gets ready to go. And as he's heading out the door, he looks at his duster, which we know is inlaid with spells and protections. And he kind of refers to it as a suit of armor. But like all suits of armor, it doesn't have its, its own air conditioning system. And he's worried about it being absurdly warm. So he leaves it on the hook, which doesn't make him feel great. But he grabs the dog. So he's got a puppy with him. He's got somebody to watch his back and maybe to help him eat a hot dog later. <laughs> they head out as Murphy gets there. He puts a mouse in the back seat and she asks if he's car broken. And Mary says, don't worry, Murph. We did an insane amount on the whole bodily function issue. As soon as I realized how big he was going to get, he'll be good. <laughs> If it was any other dog, I'd make him ride in the trunk. <laughs> I think most of my girl voices are bleeding together, but I'm trying. <laughs> he says like, oh, that's right. You have dog issues. Big dog issues. Just big dogs. Mouse isn't big. He's compactly challenged. <laughs> You'd fit in the trunk too, Harry. She looked at him and said, your lips are blue. Long shower. Why don't you keep your mind on business? I think I'll interpret that as a compliment to my sexual appeal. It's just a line that's annoying. Also because it's not true. 
You heard anything in the hospital? Her smile faded. She didn't say anything. And he realizes it's bad. The, the dude the paramedics carried off died. There's a girl who was already down when he came in. She's going to make it, but she's in some sort of shock, catatonic. Rosie, the pregnant girl, her injuries are painful, but not life-threatening. But she's still at the hospital because they heard she was pregnant. Pell's still in ICU. He's an old man. His injuries are severe. He's groggy, but he's conscious. And Harry's worried about talking to him in the ICU because of all the machines and stuff. But Murphy says, those doctors can be real funny about not wanting people in critical condition to nip out for a walk to the vending machines. So Murphy might have to solo that one, but we'll try to figure it out. Obviously, he's still worried. You know, he can't control when things go haywire. And so Murphy arches her brow and says, maybe we can get you on a speakerphone or something. Or something. I rub my eyes. I think this is going to be a long day. <laughs> Alrighty. So they head over to Mercy Hospital. When you get right down to it, all hospitals tend to look pretty much the same. But Mercy Hospital, where the victims in the attack have been taken, somehow managed to avoid the worst of the sterile, disinfected, quietly desperate quality of many others. So Mercy Hospital is the oldest hospital in Chicago, founded by Sisters for Mercy, so it's still Catholic. It was thought to be ridiculously large when it was first built. The famous Chicago fires of the late 19th century filled Mercy to capacity. Doctors were able to handle six or seven times as many patients as any other hospital during the emergency, and everyone stopped complaining about how uselessly big the place was. I, I love, freaking love that. I think it's cool. I'm a, again, I'm a history major, so like that's kind of where my interests lie, and like shit like that is just so good. I just adore that entire paragraph, but I love that background. Whether or not it's true, I, I didn't look it up, but I'm going to take it and love it. And exactly, same. <laughs> Okay, and so there's a cop outside. Cop out? There is a cop outside of the rooms. I know, I'm just playing. Basically, there he's, you know, to, in case a costume killer came back, or to discourage the press whenever they inevitably smelled the blood in the water and showed up for the frenzy. And the cop was Rollins. He's unshaven and still has a splatter con, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, name tag on. And one of his forearms is taped up where he got sliced. He had pulled, so he pulled the, his chair to the hall's intersection. He was dedicated, not insane. Dresden, you look better except for those bruises. The does best that line, one. Sorry, does that line mean he, well, it, like, otherwise he would have been standing in the hallway? Yes. Okay, okay. That's how I read it. I just thought maybe I missed something there. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, no, he probably, he's probably meant to be standing, but he just sat down because why not? You look better, except for those bruises. The best ones always show up the day after. God's truth. Murphy looked back and forth between us. I guess you'll work with anyone, Harry. <laughs> Dude, is that little Carrie Murphy I, I hear down there? I didn't bring my opera glasses to work today. She grinned back. What are you doing down here? Couldn't they find a real cop to watch the hall? He snorted, stuck his legs out, and crossed his ankles. I noted that for all of his indolent posture... His holster weapon was clear and near his right hand. He regarded Mouse with pursed lips and said, I don't think dogs are allowed in here. He's a police dog. Rollins casually offered Mouse the back of one hand. Mouse sniffed it politely and his tail thumped against my legs. So polite. 
He's such a good boy. Mm-hmm. Everyone says so. Don't think I've seen him around the station. The dog's with me. The wizard's with me, Murphy said. Makes him a police dog, all right. Miss Marcel's down that way. They got Pell and Miss Beckton in ICU. The boy they brought in didn't make it. Thanks, Rollins. You're welcome, little girl. Murphy gave him a brief glare, <laughs> and we went down the hall to visit the first of the victims. So this is Rosie's room. Molly's in there, in a chair beside the bed where she had evidently been asleep while mostly sitting up. So she wakes up, and she says, Murphy says, you know, I hope you were able to get some rest. A little? A little? Who are you? My name is Karen Murphy. I'm a detective for the Chicago Police Department. This is Harry Dresden. He's working with us on the case. Do you mind if he's here? Molly comes up to him. What are you doing here? Looking into things. There's something spooky going on. You sure? Definitely. Don't worry. I'll find whatever hurt your friend. Friends. Have you heard anything about Ken? Rosie's boyfriend? Tone will tell us what's going on. He the kid that they took from the scene? Yes. I glanced at Murphy's back and didn't say anything. Murphy. Oof. Molly got it. Her face went white and she whispered, oh God, she'll be so, I've got to. I'm dying for coffee. Anybody else want some? <laughs> no, we did. So she heads out and she brushed within a foot or two of Mouse. Instead of growling, though, Mouse leaned his head affectionately against her leg as she went by and caged a few ear scratches from the girl before she left. I looked at Mouse after Molly had gone. Are you going bipolar on me? He settled down again immediately. The clock was running. I pushed the question about Mouse's odd behavior aside for the moment and let Mouse watch the door while I reached for my sight. So he pulls his sight up, which we've dealt with before, and Murphy looked like Murphy had always looked beneath my sight. She appeared almost as herself, but clearer somehow, her eyes flashing, and she was garbed in a quasi-angelic tunic of white, stained in places with the blood and mud of battle. A short, straight sword, its blade made of almost viciously bright light, hung beneath her left arm, where I knew her cotton blazer had hit her gun on its shoulder wig. She looked at me, and I could see her physical face as a vague shadow beneath the surface of the aspect I saw now. She smiled at me, a sunny light in it, though her body's face remained a neutral mask. I was seeing the life, the emotion beyond her face now. I shied away from staring at her, lest I make eye contact for too long but that smile at least was something I wouldn't mind remembering. Rosie was another story. The physical Rosie was a small, slight, pale young woman with a thin, frail features. The Rosie my sight revealed to me was entirely different. Pale skin became a pallid, dirty, leathery coating. Large, dark eyes looked even bigger and flicked around with darting, avian jerks. They were furtive eyes, giving her the dangerous aspect of a stray dog, or maybe some kind of rat, the eyes of a craven, desperate survivor. Winding veins of some kind of green-black energy pulsed beneath her skin, particularly around the inside bend of her left arm. The writhing strings of energy ended at the surface of her skin in dozens of tiny, mindlessly opening and closing little mouths. The needle tracks I'd seen the night before. Her right arm kept darting back and forth over the other arm, as if trying to scratch a persistent itch but her fingers couldn't touch it. There was a kind of sheath of sparkling motes around her hands, almost like mittens, and she couldn't actually touch those mindlessly hungry mouths. 
Worse, there were what almost looked like bird marks on her temples. Small, black, neat holes, as if someone had bored a hot needle through the skin and skull beneath. There was a kind of phantom blood around the injuries, but her eyes were wide and vague, as if she didn't even notice them. What the hell? I'd seen the victims of spiritual attacks before, and they'd never been pretty. Usually they looked like the victim of a shark attack or someone who had been mauled by a bear. I hadn't ever seen someone with damage like Rosie's. It almost looked like some kind of demented surgeon had gone after her with a laser scalpel that pushed the weirdometer by a couple of clicks beyond the previous record. So he pushes his side away and says, Rosie, cutting off Murphy, when was your last fix? What do you mean? Rosie asks. I figure it's heroin. I kept my voice pitched to the barest level needed to be audible. I saw the tracks on you last night. I'm dying, but... Oh, please. You think I'm not stupid? Harry, Murphy began. There was a warning note in her voice, but my head hurt too much to let it stop me. Miss Marcella, I'm trying to help you. Just answer the question. Two weeks. Murphy arched a brow and her gaze went back to the girl. I quit. Really, I mean, once I heard that I was pregnant, I couldn't do that anymore. Really? Yes. I'm done with it. I don't even miss it. The baby's more important than that. All right. Miss Marcella, thank you for your time. And so she says, no one will tell them about Ken. Ken's your boyfriend? Yes, I saw them load him in the ambulance last night. I know he's here. Rosie stared at Murphy for a second, and then her face grew even more pale. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. I was glad I'd gotten a look at her before she found Aww. out about about her boyfriend. My imagination provided me with a nice image of watching the emotional wounds open up as though an invisible sword had begun slicing into her. But at least I didn't have to see it with my sight, too. Oof. So Murphy apologizes and they leave. Molly returns. And uh, Murphy says, we'll be in touch. I didn't see the track marks on her last night, she said after a minute. You pushed her pretty hard. Yes. Why? Because it might mean something. I don't know what yet, but we didn't have time to waste listening to her denial. She wasn't straight with you. No one kicks heroin that fast. Two weeks? She should still be feeling some of the withdrawal. Yeah. You're right. It's hard seeing someone like that. And she's probably the least mangled of the three. What did you see? I tried to tell her what Rosie had looked like. It sounded surreal and garbled even to me. I didn't think I'd conveyed it very well. I don't. I didn't think I had conveyed it very well. She says, you look awful. And so they're ready on to the next one. So they're headed to the ICU. And Murphy says, you sure you should do this? No, but I can't help you if I don't get to look at them. I can't do that any other way. If I can stay calm and relax, it shouldn't hurt anything for me to be there a minute or two. But you can't be sure. When can I? <laughs> Let me go ahead of you. Wait here. So he takes a chair and sits down with Mouse and Rollins, and they share a companionable silence. All right, we need to go down a floor and then use the back stairs. A nurse is going to let us in. You won't have to walk past any of the other rooms before you get to our witnesses. Okay. Let's get this over with. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Rollins is very quickly climbing up my Dres Dresden character's power rankings. Mm -hmm. Like, very, very quickly. This is interesting. We've the way. So Harry's doing magic, right? He's using the site in a place where he doesn't want to do magic. 
where, you know, these machines are, these life-saving machines are keeping people. So we see him use the site in a urgent way. It's just, this is an interesting urgency to this first like description of it where he's coming up the stairs and he's already preparing it. And so basically the nurse opens the door and he pops in and he puts his site up right away. Um, it's not like super notable of anything else. It's just interesting that we've never seen like that kind of urgency around this type of magic, which is just notable for me. I, I don't know why it's one, again, one of those things that either Lissy will rec recognize that there is something reasonable and explain to me why I think the way I think, or she'll just nod her, like just shake her head and like acknowledge that she can't pick her brothers. <laughs> but I just find it a strange, it's just a strange description there but he pops into the one of the catatonic girl or to the catatonic girl one of the victims who's still in the icu and he sees that her hair is a shocking color this is the most important sentence in the book so far where he says her hair was a shocking color of red that for some reason did not strike me as a dye job well yeah harry because gingers exist too <laughs> this is the entire this is going into yikes just so we're clear Oh my goodness. Gingers are people too. Maybe not insold people, but we're still people. <laughs> Dork. I digress. I think there's a book to get to after this. As he looks at her, he sees again that her psyche has been savagely mauled. She's got bruises and blood and watery fluids, uh, just all sorts of things that Lissy should read in a chapter that's hers. <laughs> it's just very gross. And we see that her eyes are wide with terror but there's not enough of her left to be to scream. Basically, if, 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 if Miss Beckton still existed, he would see her screaming in the, in his sight. Mm -hmm. He barely gets to a trash can to yak. And Murphy asks if he's okay. And he tries to pull back from the site as he's doing this. And he says, no, I'm not okay. In a vicious, half-strangled growl. No, I'm not okay. I don't know if that was vicious or half-strangled, but, you know, we do our best here. History major, okay? Talk to the theater gal. Murphy stares back and, and looked at him for a second, looked at the girl and said, Is she? She isn't coming back. He spat a few times with a trash can, stood up, and walked out. This girl's terrified eyes stayed bright and clear in his imagination, as they always would, forever. She'd been out for a fun time, a favorite movie, maybe coffee or dinner with friends afterwards. She sure as hell hadn't woken up yesterday morning and wondered if today would be the day some kind of nightmarish thing would rip away her sanity. Harry, you didn't do this to her. Damn it! Damn it, Murph! I'm gonna find this thing and kill it. Her hand was steady and strong. Like her voice. She closed her fingers around his. I'll help. Come on, I said. Pell, are you sure you don't need a minute? It won't help. I need to get this over with and leave. And again, that's the, the indelibility of what he sees. He's always going to see it always fresh. You can't forget it. Which is interesting. I actually had this thought after last time we talked about the site. Uh-huh. Where if it's always indelible, if you remember everything so much, this is 
I play a video game. I promise it'll circle back. Among the video games I play, one of them is called Hearthstone Battlegrounds. It's like a card. It's a card game, basically. But one of the things you can do is you can taunt a minion so that the other team has to attack that minion first. It's kind of how you protect some of your more important minions. Mm -hmm. But there's like a saying as you add more and more taunts that like if everything's taunted, nothing is, right? Because there's no taunt. They're just, if they, they have to attack this one before others, but if they're all taunted, it doesn't matter if that makes sense. I promise it makes sense if you think about it. But even if you don't, circling back, he should use his sight more. Because if everything's right in the forefront of his mind, nothing is. <laughs> Either way, I was playing a video game after last week. And it was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> or last time, whatever. There you go. It's not, just, it's not just rotting my brain, Mom, I promise. It's also corrupting my brain into thinking dumb things about book series. But so he has to move on and they decide to head over to Clark Pell. And he's obviously a little bit less worse for the wear which is a similar interesting turn of phrase that you don't use very often, but what can you do? Pell was a sour old cuss made out of shoe leather and gristle. One arm and both legs were in cast and he was in traction. One side of his face was swollen with bruising. A plastic tube for oxygen ran beneath his nose. Bandages swathed his head. Tough bits of coarse gray hair stuck out. One eye was swollen mostly shut. The other was open, dark and glittering. I just love this guy. <laughs> he's just like, again, he's just shoe leather and gristle. Um, uh, he's fantastic. And, you know, Harry looks at him and he'd been badly beaten, but he was a fighter. He was afraid, but he was angry and defiant. This wasn't the same. You know, he was obviously mm -hmm. bruised and he, this guy was fucked up. I mean, again, he almost died. But, this this beating hadn't elicited the terror and anguish that hammer the hammer hands being had expected. Mm -hmm. The old man faced it, got his ass beat, but basically stood up to it mentally and emotionally. As he releases his sight, you know, Murphy tries to give him some love, seeing what happened last time. And he says, I'm all right. <laughs> Bill says, whiner. Not even a cast. <laughs> Face the old man. Who did this to you? Crazy. Sir, I swear to you, I'm not a cop. I'm not a doctor. I think you saw something strange. Hammer hands. You told Green it was someone dressed like hammer hands. Pretty much. But it wasn't a costume. This was something more. It was him. Don't know how. Don't make no sense. But you could feel it. I believe you. Thing is, it's the only damn movie ever scared me. Wasn't even all that good. He gave a weak shake of his head. Buzz off. Thank you. Told him. They headed out. As they're heading down, you know, Murph asks what's up. And he says, Pell gave us what we needed. He did? Yeah. I think he did. This thing has got to be some kind of phobophage. A what? A spiritual entity that feeds on fear. It attacks to scare people, and it feeds on the emotions. It didn't give Pell those broken bones by shouting boo. Yeah, it's got to manifest a physical body in order to come to the real world. Pretty standard for all these demon types. How do we beat it? 
I don't know yet. First, I have to find out what kind of phobophage it is. But I've got a place to pick up a trail now. There are only going to be so many beings who could have crossed over to Chicago from the Never Never to do what this thing did. You going to be all right? I think so. Can you tell me what you saw? He did in as few words as he could. And Murphy kind of explains what we saw, which is that it hardly seems like what happened to them happened to Rosie. Maybe Rollins and I got there in time. Maybe it hadn't had time to do more than a little foreplay. Or maybe there's another reason. Remind me to lecture you about the interest rate on borrowed trouble. Simplest explanation. <laughs> Simplest explanation is the one we go with until we found out something to the contrary. Occam's razor. Indeed. If only there was a clever podcast that mentioned things like this. <laughs> By name. Murphy nodded, said, if this creature hit the convention twice, it'll probably do it again. Seems to me maybe we should advise them to close it down. No convention, no attacks, right? <laughs> Too late for that. What do you mean? The creature feeds on fear. It's attracted to it. If they shut down the convention, it'll scare a lot of people. News reports will do that too. Not the same way. News report might unsettle some folks. But the people at the convention here, the ones who knew the victims, who were in the same buildings, it'll hit them harder. It'll make what happened here seem something dangerous, something real. I used to get into the idea that, like, if they cancel the con because of what Harry just described, the people get more scared, mm -hmm. and that'll attract more predators. Kind of blood in the water, basically. So, but also, now all those victims would be spread over Chicago instead of in a hotel. So, we have the advantage of knowing where they're going to strike. It seems a little using innocence as baity, but he kind of explains enough to make it not exactly that, if that makes sense. But it is a little, yeah. it's a little in that, it's in that ballpark for sure. He has to dip to go make what he describes as a lunch meeting he can't miss for council stuff, maybe important. We know he's going to meet Fix. He's going to go meet this summer night, but it is jarring. You mentioned last time how, like, the narrative just took a quick left turn into this SplatterCon <laughs> stuff. Well, now it's kind of doing this very, this is a very similar shift, right? Where we're, like, knee-deep into this investigation. We're starting to get some momentum. We're starting to figure stuff out. And then, like, oh, yeah, I got to go talk to the winter night about this other stuff. Or the summer night, excuse me, about this other stuff. It's just kind of interesting. I, I, not, like, in a negative at all. It's just a interesting kind of, again... It's like poetry. It rhymes with what you said about how we shifted into the SplatterCon. He's going mm -hmm. kind of similarly out of nowhere, right back out of it, which is just interesting. And I think on purpose, of course, I think it's good, good yeah. writing. I don't think it's bad writing. It's just jarring to the, to the reader for sure, which is supposed to be. And uh, Murphy says, you can't take too much responsibility on yourself, Harry. You're just one man, a good man. But you're still only human. This is what happens when I don't wear the coat. People start thinking I'm not a superhero. <laughs> oh, goodness. She snorts and said, I'm serious. You can't be everywhere at once. You can't stop all the bad things that are going to happen. Doesn't mean someone shouldn't try. Which is, again, we've talked about that idea in Harry's, that's Harry's thesis statement, right? Like, you're not mm -hmm. going to stop everything bad. But that's not a reason to not try. 
Mm-hmm. Fucking love it. I agree. That's like that's such a good raison d'etre, and it's fucking incredible. I love it. I love it. So they get back into Murphy's car after all that, and again, just one of those like summing up where we're at. We got into Murphy's car so I could track down I knew not what. Just as soon as I got done opening an entirely new can of worms with a summer night. All right, so Murphy drops him off near home. He takes he takes Mouse home, and he tries to force his way in because <laughs> the door is not stuck. Quite great. And uh, I kicked it a few times to open it the rest of the way, then tromped in with Mouse and looked up to find the barrel of a chopped down shotgun six inches from my face. Those things are illegal, you know. Thomas scowled at me from the other end of the shotgun and lowered the weapon. You've got to get that door fixed. Every time you come in, it sounds like an assault team. Boy, deej, and you get all paranoid. <laughs> what can I say? I slipped a shotgun into his bulging sports bag, which sat on the floor by the door. I never counted on starring in my own personal zombie movie. Don't kid yourself. It was my movie. You were a spear carrier, a supporting role, Tops. It's nice to be appreciated. <laughs> and so they share a beer. I love and, their interactions. Uh, Harry realizes that his trunk is on the ground, padlock shut, and there's a bag. I figured pretty much every possession he owned now sat on the floor by my door. So they each have a bottle of beer, and you're leaving. I said a minute later, you weren't going to tell me. He then nodded at an envelope on the mantle's fireplace. My new address and phone number. There's some money in there for you. Thomas? No, take it. You offered to let me stay with you until I got on my feet. I've been here almost two years. I owe you. No. Harry, please. I stared at him for a minute and struggled with a bunch of conflicting emotions. Part of me was childishly relieved that I would have my tiny apartment to myself again. A much larger part of me felt sudden and suddenly empty and worried. For a while there, I had feared that despair and self-loathing were going to cause him to implode— and I had somehow known that his desire to get out on his own again was a sign of recovery. Part of that recovery, I was sure, was Thomas gaining, Thomas regaining a measure of pride and self-confidence. That's why he left money on the mantle. Pride. I couldn't turn down the money without taking that pride from him. He talks about Thomas as his only family, his only blood family. We got on each other's nerves, sure, but that hadn't ever altered the fundamental fact of who we were to each other. We were brothers. Everything else was temporary. Are you going to be all right? I think so. Where'd the money come from? My job. You found a job you could hold? He winced a little. Sorry, but I know you'd had so much trouble. And we knew the incubus troubles of people hitting on him everywhere. You found something. Something without people. I've been there a while. Yeah? Where? He evaded me effortlessly. A place down off Lakeview. I finally earned a little extra. I just wanted to pay you back. You must be getting all kinds of overtime. As near as I can figure it, you've been putting in 80 and 90 hour weeks. Working hard. If he didn't want to talk about it, he wasn't going to talk about it. Pushing him wouldn't make him any more likely to tell me. You sure you'll be okay? I'll be all right. It's past time for me to get out of my own. Not if you aren't wet. Not if you aren't ready. Harry, come on. So far, we've been lucky. The council hasn't noticed me here. But with all of your warden stuff, sooner or later, somebody's going to show up and find you rooming with a white court vampire. That would be a mess. 
but I don't mind chancing it if you need the time. And I don't mind getting out on my own to avoid making trouble for you with the council. Besides, I'm just covering my own, my own ass. I don't want to cross them myself. I wouldn't let them... Christ, Harry, you're my brother, not my mother. I'll be fine. <laughs> now that I won't be here to make you look bad, maybe you can finally start having girls over again. Bite me, pretty boy. You don't need any help moving or anything. So he says the cab's on his way. He really was going to leave without telling Harry. Oh, yeah, he's going to leave a note, but... Yeah, unless you need my help with a case or anything, something, I've got until Monday to move in. I'm working with SI on this one, so I've got plenty of support. I think I can get things locked down by tonight. Harry, Harry, Harry. He's not going to get things locked down by tonight. I, I know that. We've already seen this exact. Yeah. This is this is the it can't get any worse. Exactly. Now you come on, it. Harry. What? You predicted quick victory. Now it's going to get hopelessly complicated. Jesus, don't you know any better than that by now? You'd think I would. If you need anything, call me. Ditto. Thank you, little brother. Yeah, my couch is always open. Unless there's a girl here. And he says, can I do, can, mind if I borrow the shotgun just until I can replace it? Go ahead. I've still got my 44. So he heads out. And Mouse lets out a long sigh and comes over to Nudge's hand underneath my head. I scratch his ears for a minute and said, he'll be all right. Don't worry about him. Mouse sighed again. I'll miss him too, I told the dog. Don't get comfortable. We're going to visit Mac. You can meet the summer night. I went around getting everything I needed for a formal meeting with the summer night, called another cab, and sat in my too-quiet apartment, wondering what it was my brother was hiding from me. Nice short chapter, but that was a good one. Oh, yeah. And a great, a great place to end as well, mm -hmm. this junk, just because it certainly, it's only been since the beginning of the last novel. Was that deadbeat, right? That, that he's been living with him? Yeah. I think yeah. so. Yeah, because it was the end of, excuse me, it was the end of book six where he mm -hmm. got kicked out of the white court. So it really hasn't been a long, you know, that long, but it is a big shift, right? I mean, we've always had this relationship to kind of like rely on and when he needed somebody. And I, I do like that Thomas still said, you know, he's he's there if you need me for sure. But it's just, again, kind of the end of, an era of this relationship at least mm -hmm. in some ways any thoughts there you want to hop over to the analysis and get Let's and break break the whole down. thing down all right all right all right overall general thoughts on the chunk a lot of kind of calm after the storm if you yeah will. but sort of sorting through the debris we did a lot of sorting through the debris with all of the people in the hospital and you know learning things about rosie but it, it's basically we're sorting through the debris yeah no that's a great way to describe it i love somebody should put you on a podcast like you should like use <laughs> you should use this thought these thoughts for good instead of just how you use them now for evil um <laughs> Yeah, no, I like that that thought because that really is what this section is. We we saw the commotion at the end of the last episode, and now we're seeing how we can shape that into, you know, the, shape these negatives and fix it and move it into the good. Category. Well, you know, I mean that the section started with the authorities arrived and we placed crisis with aftermath. All of these chapters <laughs> are aftermath. Yeah, no, that's great. I love it. That's they really truly are. 
I uh, was thinking about this today that like, I wonder if Butcher writes in six chapter chunks. (laughs) So often they have fit the narrative so well. Like these breaks make a lot of sense. And like, we're about to, you know, get into the summer night conversation. We're about to really start breaking down what this Fobo phage is up to. It's just, uh, obviously I don't think it's that simple. It's just kind of a funny coincidence, but yeah. What, um, any thoughts on that first one? You know, obviously learning Rosie's pregnant. We already knew she was pregnant. Wait, did we know she was pregnant? No, we didn't. We just knew that Uh, Molly was worried about her taking her vitamins. Yeah. Which is certainly weird, a weird thing for an adult to worry about another adult. (laughs) And that, that is explained here. Yeah, and you mentioned how she likes to take care of her friends, and she does a good job there. She shows up, doesn't tackle her, which is good, because Harry <laughs> makes sure she doesn't. Yeah, but yeah I mean, again, the, um, Detective Sergeant Green is an interesting character beyond that. I liked the uh, exchange where he said, you know, you, you, you got Nelson out of, out of prison, and he's not your friend, or out of jail, rather, and he's not your friend. And he's like, nope. He's like, that's kind of a strange thing to do, right? He's like, yeah, well, why'd you do it? I was, like, I was personal reasons, like, which are personal. <laughs> just, I just like that exchange a lot. But I also like, yeah, we're, we're kind of set up to think he's a dick. And then Murphy's like, you know, someone we care about her opinion. She's like, no, no, he's like a, one of the best detectives. But he's also a dick. <laughs> well, he's just, he doesn't have a personality. Yeah. But I do like that. It's like, no, 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 he's, he's also a dick. No, no, he, yeah, he is a dick, but also he gets kind of Murphy's vouch for competency he's he's good at his job yeah which is just kind of like subverting the expectation there that this dick cop is going to be a douchebag terrible but no no he's actually a really good cop he's just yeah he's a cop so he's a dick (laughs) (laughs) anything else on that one not a time Um, those are the big ones okay how about 14 let's see here um the whole, you think we'd ever end up together? It was inevitable. Yeah. But I still like, nah. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of stupid. Yeah, um, but will, but will they, won't they? Is I just hate like, that. It's such easy conflict in any story. Again, I, I, I'm going to do this. I, I over, what do you call it? I over disclaimer whenever I do stuff. I, so like I'm starting a new job. And I'm already kind of working with those people about setting up the schedule for this next year. And for those that don't know, which obviously none of you would, because why would you? Water polo in Southern, Southern California is kind of the hotbed for water polo in this country. It's uh, really popular in Eastern Europe. And that's kind of it. (laughs) Eastern Europe, Southern California. And then there are pockets elsewhere. Like Northern California has a good scene. A lot of players up there um, in USA water polo. Greenwich, Connecticut, for one reason or another, has like a great water polo scene. I was there's some great polo in Canada, you know, some youth polo in Canada, and then obviously, you know, the Balkan states. But I'm moving from Southern California up to Seattle, which is a place, you know, Pacific Northwest does not have particularly historic great water polo. And so like I'm trying to like navigate setting up tournament schedules and things without really knowing any of the individuals, but knowing broad strokes, it's it's probably not going to be great polo to start with. But like, also that is like coming from a snobbery, right? Like it's just like, I don't know, it's, it's coming from like a place of not really knowing, but my expectations are such as it is. I don't remember how I got on that topic. 
but oh yeah but so like it's easy to have your like biases when you don't know shit mm-hmm. i don't know but like i'm not an author i'm not a writer i've never had to try to tell a story with platonic male and female characters it's got to be hard because it's such an easy mode to have things like this and i do like that he they reject it basically yeah but it is the will they won't they leave it open and i really of course well it always is like that's true of any set of friends right like any even male friends or female friends right like who knows what the future holds but like the reality is like it's just it's just boring we've seen this before i agree that's one of the great things about dresden is like i've never seen a necromantically powered Tyrannosaurus Rex. Me I've never seen that before. I mean, I know Lissy has. I know most of you have because <laughs> you're more well-read than me. Um, but like, right, like it's just like we've seen a lot of really cool shit. That's why I love this series. This is just like I've I've, I've seen it before. Yeah, and it's just boring. It's uh, done now. I I don't think it's done poorly here. No, I, I think it's done well. I I actually like the way that Murphy explains it here and even further moving forward like i actually have i have a lot of respect for how he did it mm-hmm. it's just okay it's one of those things i don't think you can get away with ever not doing it i think that's really hard historically i don't know how what stories there are about male and female characters that don't don't have that those that tension that's one of the reasons why like firefly again to speak of the the creator who has a lot of talent but a lot of douchebaggery like mm-hmm. Firefly is so freaking good. Among them, Mal and Zoe's relationship. They're the captain and the first mate. Mm-hmm. And she's like this like warrior woman. And he's kind of like, he's, you know, he is a powerful character. And so he's like, has killed lots of people. And he was hired. He was her superior officer in the war. But like, she's very much like, she's the warrior of the two of them. Yeah. Right. But she's, you know, this gorgeous, stunning character who can do all these things. And he's, you know, the captain, but it's, there's zero sexual tension ever mm-hmm. between the two of them. And that is like, again, now she has a husband. There's, there's obviously reasons for it. She's, the yeah. husband's on the show and stuff, but like, it would be so easy for one B plot of a story to be like, they, they're on off on some mission and they like have some almost kiss or something. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's so simple and easy. And you see that in every show. And, and again, they had like 10 episodes, which is a, a separate tragedy, but <laughs> I just, it's hard to write those characters for sure. Male and female characters who work together all the time. And I get it. It just, it's lame still. It's, it's it, it like, like Lizzie said, we've seen it before. And so like, it, it doesn't, these two characters have kind of like a, a fun rapport. And like, I guarantee they've both thought about it before this. Yeah. Both of them have thought about it. Right. So and like, he's mentioned it. He had that conversation with what's his face with Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, it's not out of place. It's not bad characterization. It's just kind of boring is how yeah. kind of I would describe it. I agree. It, you know, tension for tension's sake, whatever. I, I don't have a problem with it. So, like, it, it is a story structure. I'm, I'm not creative enough to really have a problem with it in any way, but uh, whatever. I don't love it. But either way, um, beyond that, not to belabor it too hard. Any other thoughts there? No. I, no, I not really. Had one, which was Karen's thought about when she talks, you know, he's wondering if he's he's about he's gone over the deep end. And she basically said, if you think you have, you have. If you don't think you have, you haven't. 
Yeah. Which reminded me a lot of Malcolm Shiel in the graveyard at the end of Deadbeat, mm-hmm. where most people, probably myself included until this podcast, thought that was Malcolm that Harry was talking to and had a little chat with his dad on the way out the door. And he's, you know, basically said, like, if you think you're okay, you're okay. Like, yeah. You crossed the line, but it is what it is. And we kind of posited that, yeah, that might have been Malcolm and that is fine. But also that conversation is exactly what Lashiel would have said in that situation. Yeah. Right. And this is the same thing, which is exactly what Lashiel would have said in this situation is like, if you don't think you're a bad guy yet, you're not a bad guy. Yeah. How often do bad guys think they're bad guys? Well, it has, I mean, I don't know. At what point do you start twirling your mustache? You know, like you've seen the, uh, I don't even know what it's from. It's some British sketch comedy, but I've, I, I'm pretty sure I said the, are we the baddies conversation, mm-hmm. which is a great, just search. If you haven't seen it, you know what I'm talking about? Search. Are we the baddies? And you'll get one of the greatest sketches from some British sketch comedy show. I have no idea what it is. I wish I could credit it, but it's basically, it's two like Nazi op, you know, Nazi officers speaking in British accents <laughs> as the, te- as the best Nazi narratives tend to be. And they, this guy's this, they talking about like, one of them's like talking about their uniform and like, we've got skulls on our uniform. Like, why would we have skulls on them? <laughs> it's just like talking about it. It's like, they realize, like, are we the baddies? Like, are we the bad guys here? You know, there is a certain point where you realize, like, oh, shit, I'm the bad guy. It just is a hard process to get to. But, like, this idea that you can still be good so long as you think you're good means I don't know if we've seen a bad guy yet in this series. Which villain doesn't think they're doing the right thing? Certainly the bad guy's in full moon. The first guy's just trying to make his family rich. What's the, you know, Victor, what's the third one? Bianca trying to grow her power and the court's power. And she has a legal, a legal claim over Susan. Right. I mean, like she yeah. even got a legal claim. Obviously the, the Aurora thought she was doing the right thing to, to end it. Uh, what was book five? Nicodemus sure as shit thinks he's in the right. He's not twirling his mustache. Apocalypse is the state of mind. Like he's ready to fucking yeah, thing. I mean, it's an interesting kind of... Well, so, like, we haven't had it Either we haven't had any villains yet, or that mentality is fucking terrible. <laughs> so, I don't think this is Lashiel here. I know this is Murphy, but, like, I think she's just trying to pick up her buddy. You know, you gotta pick up your boy when he needs yeah. it. But, like, that's terrible advice. <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> but, it, you know, she's trying. Yeah, no, again... Like take like making your friend feel better is a goal in and of itself. So that's fine. If so. Anything else there? No, not really. All right. 15. Oh, this is the last year. The, yeah. The, the cold water. I didn't like Murphy's assumption there. Which yeah. Is, it's just funny that she's wrong also. Yes. Which I like. I like that actually the most. But yeah, there's a line in there that I wanted to touch on where Lashiel in the shower says, your discomfort is my discomfort, my host. And we had a great email from Eliza this week, friend of the program. <laughs> and she, you know, we talked 
last week or the week before about how his concussion feelings went away real quick. And she referred to it as Lashiel protecting her domicile. Like she made, she made it better because his head feel better, which I didn't, I haven't gotten to reply. I apologize. I, I don't know if I agree with that because a brain injury is a brain injury is a brain injury. I don't think she can heal his brain. She can make him feel like his brain's healing. Yeah. And I think that might be what it is though. But I don't know if that is better or worse for her if he thinks his brain's better than it is because he can do more damage to her That's domicile. True. That's true. But it was definitely an interesting idea, and it certainly got me down a rabbit hole that I'm not proud of. <laughs> I got pretty deep into some mm-hmm. stuff. But I really do love that idea of sometimes we think about like Lashiel's grand plans of, oh, she's doing this to convince Harry to do X, Y, or Z. And sometimes she just wants her head to feel better yeah (laughs) it's not there's no manipulation it's just she wants to feel better yeah i don't think i think eliza's half right there and and maybe that is what eliza was saying and i was too dumb to parse out the meaning but like i think you're right that that uh, that it was lashiel who made it feel better yeah but i don't she didn't do it for harry or like to make her her her, you know her domicile her brain better Uh i think she just was like fuck this i don't want to feel like this stop feeling like (laughs) so his brain is still swelling he still has all these problems but she feels better because his yeah. brain is interpreting those feelings better. Yeah. But, and that's the funny thing is, is that it's, it's all of the, it's all interpretation. It's all, you know, brain interpretation. And I think that's, and I think that's a spectacular perspective that she just makes her house want to feel better. Yeah. No, she doesn't want to be uncomfortable at home. Yeah. No, fuck this. Mm-hmm. I got to live here. You're going to make that. You're going to clean this fucking bedroom up. So beyond that yeah relatively straightforward a good conversation i like that he works through it i love i loved everything about the mortality bigot oh yeah 100 percent. she's just unabashed like yeah no, no no like i i fucking hate you people but i'm here so let's may as well make it work <laughs> right she has no like pre, no pretense about what she's about she really does and it's fantastic which is again why like i tend to trust her more than harry does and more than the average reader is supposed to Cause like, I really do think she's re- more straightforward than we give her credit and certainly more than the church does. Cause again, yeah. whether or not, whether or not the church are the good guys, they're still the villains in her tale. That's true. right. Like, like everyone's, everyone's the hero in their own story. But yeah. so like, but these are the people making these descriptions of her, the, the, you know, the, the, uh, what's the first one, something in the web weaver, the temptress. Uh, yeah. And the web weaver and the web weaver. Like this could very well be her weaving her web and I am taking it hook, line and sinker, but (laughs) like I I could very well be right. But also like she's been besides the Sheila stuff, which again, she like kind of explained at least a little bit. She just wanted to kiss a dude. She's been pretty straightforward most of the time that we've seen her. Now, again, she's, we know that she's working under the hood and we mm-hmm. don't know what she's up to there. But I'm not saying, again, this isn't me saying she's a good guy. I just, I'm intrigued by her more and more every time. I think we she's talk a great, a great element of the story. I think that she is intriguing. Yeah, that's a great word. Is, that's the one that I just came up with. So I'm going to assume it's a great no, but, word. No, and, and um, I, but it's, it's an intriguing character decision. I mean, because she's kind of part of his character, I guess. <laughs> you know, where she's inside his head. And it's a kind of a cool character element for our, our boy Harry here. Oh, for sure. For sure. 
move on to 16 with unanimous consent. The there's an interesting interaction there with Molly early on mm-hmm. where when she finds out the Rosie's boyfriend, I don't recall his name, died. Ken. Ken. We've seen her, and you actually mentioned how much you appreciated how caring and supportive she was of Rosie in particular. And she kind of dips immediately. She comes back. But the thing is, because she's a kid, I don't think she has dealt with death. You know, she's a 17-year-old kid. I think she's confused because death isn't something a 17-year-old kid deals with. Especially she was, she had a sheltered existence. Oh, for sure. For sure. I, and I, I just, think that's what it is. I just wanted to call attention to like yeah. that specific reaction for her where she said like, I have to. And then she's just like, I, I got to go get coffee. Right. Like I got to get out of here. I can't do this right now. But like we've seen And I her- get that though. Oh, because, sure. But her friend wasn't alone. That's the thing that her friend wasn't alone. Harry was there. But her not being there meant her friend heard it from someone else. Yeah. And again, I, I don't think it's bad. I don't think she, it's just di- very different than what we saw earlier. Notably so, again, in my mind, at least, I don't know. I'm just trying to pick out these little things and like yeah, how ex- happy we were that she was supportive and friendly turning into her being scared and unable to deal with it was just an interesting it's showing her youth. There's been a couple moments where she's shown her youth and her naivete. Oh, for sure. For sure. And it's, she's still a baby. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it, this is definitely an example of that. Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. But I do also in this chapter, I love the description of Rosie in his sight. And how he was confused. It confused him as well, which I thought was interesting. Say that one more time. I'm sorry. I love how it confused him as well, how she looked in his sight. Oh, yeah, how, how Rosie looked. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was a very interesting description. Obviously, you know, the biting arms on the arm, the biting head, sense. mouths on yeah. the arm with the, re- the heroine. But I... But how she was sliced up. Yeah, sliced up. Uh, uh, part of that had to have been the Reaper. The you know, obviously mental anguish. The mental anguish, the brain injury was interesting the arm a lot that's what we were saying is like we know that not all of it's the reaper right obviously the arms the mouths yeah. on the on the track marks aren't the reaper but i i actually looked this up because i don't have experience with heroin mm-hmm. for better or worse who knows you know uh maybe that's what would have turned my life around you never know but where you know, murphy said Work. no one kicks heroin that fast two weeks she should still be feeling some of the withdrawal mm-hmm which my understanding, looking it up again, I'm literally reading websites. So please don't take this for gospel truth is that two weeks is actually about where you do start feeling better. After two weeks, you, you still have cravings, but like two weeks is where you start to feel like a human being again. So it's just interesting. I think they're mostly just trying to like say that it didn't seem right the way she reacted. Cause we know at least she's been helping put on the con and stuff, mm-hmm. but you know molly's been worried about her getting her vitamins and stuff and she found out she was pregnant recently yeah so there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there but that specific timeline no one kicks heroin that fast like two weeks is is how long it takes like that's the symptoms start to taper off yeah and cease at the two-week point is what this website i found so okay 
whether that's I, I don't I don't know. I yeah. I mean no, no, I just want to be clear. Like I'm just reading a website because yeah. I was intrigued by that and it seemed like a long time. Two weeks is a long time for anything. Like most stuff in your body is cycles through, right? You do have ongoing cravings and sometimes they're intense, but yeah, two weeks is about where you actually start to turn the corner. So I guess they're saying she seemed to have turned the corner before two weeks. How did she get to this point? Yeah. But again, narratively makes sense. Within the story, it makes sense. I just wanted to touch on that. Yeah. Um, outside knowledge wise. <laughs> the last thing I really liked, I wasn't good enough for a quote, I don't think, but where Murphy was going to check on the ICU victims. And so Harry just pulled up a chair next to Rollins and they had a companionable silence. I just love that so much. Yeah. I, I, I do too. It's, it, I like Rollins. Absolutely. One of my favorite recurring characters so far. Definitely a great dude. So um, anything else on that chapter or anything on 17? I liked Pell. Oh no. So 17 is Pell. Um, uh, yeah. What do you got? We have, well, we have Becton where she's not going to drive. She's completely savaged. And it's, I think this is an example of, you know, it, the idea of her being completely savaged make Harry, makes Harry sick. And it really, from a, you know, magical perspective, I feel like it's another reiteration of he's not the bad guy. He feels for other people. He's not truly a monster because that's his concern. Not that he's a bad guy, but that he's a monster. I feel like this is a, this is an evidence that he's not a monster. But I also love Clark Pell. Yeah, yeah. I think he's fantastic. <laughs> Shoe leather and gristle. Just a <laughs> badass old dude. Uh-huh, for sure. And I think he's just fantastic. But, you know, it's... He's just... Beneath the shoe leather and gristle, there was more shoe leather, leather and gristle <laughs> and iron. Yeah, no, for sure. I think it's fantastic. I think he's a great character, and I hope, he, I hope we see more of him. And I love... Basically, what happened was, like, it seems, you know, like, that was the only movie that scared him. Yeah. Which is why this Phobophage appeared as that character. 100%. But I think in real life, he just thought it was ridiculous <laughs> and not scary. I don't know. That's kind of how I took it. Like, what the fuck is this? Like, yeah, you're going to beat the shit out of me. But like, what the yeah. fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. What was 18 and 18 with Thomas? I just love Thomas. I love their relationship. Yes. I love the snark. This is also so on brand for him. Mm hmm. For him to just, he's just leaving a note. He doesn't want the, you know, the bullshit of saying goodbye. I mean, he's been in hiding, basically. Not that he's been in hiding. He's been hiding from Harry. He's been gone so much. He's been hiding from Harry, pretty much. And this is just kind of, he's completing that. Yeah. Which, again, we, we've seen that earlier in this novel that, like, something's up. Yeah. Harry doesn't want to ask. And we saw that again. We're like, Harry did ask, like, where, where's your new job? He's like, oh, you know, up over on that street. You know, it's just, oh, yeah. you know, up a couple blocks. He clearly doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Pushing him isn't going to solve it. Yeah. And Harry knows that. Yeah. But I feel like that's going to be something Harry's going to sort out eventually. Because he has to. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. But no, I like it. Hey, just a heads up, this next tangent is really long, even by podcasters on Fire Standards. I go on for about eight minutes here talking about water polo and feelings and, and stuff. So if that's not your jam, hop ahead to 155.45. Otherwise, take a peek into my soul. Oh, goodness gracious.
So I sent pictures of my team at the CIF game tonight. I told my uh, captain on Sunday that I was leaving. Mm-hmm. And we both cried, obviously. And I told the rest of the team last night. And I cried, obviously. And a lot of kids cried, which is, which is both nice and also like a weird thing to say that you're glad kids cried. But, you know, you have an impact on them. You've had a yeah. strong impact on these kids. But like just some of this... It's interesting, the kids that like, you know, you connect. I, mean, I coached, I've coached, this is my 25th year coaching. I've coached for a long ass time. I've coached a lot of kids. I've coached Olympians. I've coached six national team players in my career. Like I've coached some awesome. badass players. I've coached some bad, coached some bad players, coached some badass players, coached a bunch of all Americans, you know, national champions. I've coached everything. My la- last year's team was like the, the most special because of a lot of the deaths in the group that we talked about this year's team is trending in a very good direction. It's a really good group. And like, but like my only jam is whatever, give a shit about each other. Like that's, that's your, you do that. Everything else sorts itself out. But um, I, uh, you never know which kids you really connect with, you know, like, you know, which ones you do and you know, which ones you don't, but there's a whole lot of in-betweens and that's okay. You know, like literally last year's team, there was a kid who's like, his dad was the only problem of all the parents. Uh-huh. And he wasn't even that big of a problem. Like compared to the problems I've had in the past with parents, he was a like three out of 10, but he would grumble after losses and he would bitch to James. He was buddies in real life with my boss. So like, you know, it's that kind of thing. And so like you'd get grumblings and like, we'd walk by him after games and he'd, you'd hear grumbling, but it's like, you know, like at the end of the day, if that's the worst I got, like, this is brilliant. So like, I didn't, I don't, you know, I don't have a problem with the guy. <laughs> I, uh, he runs a bar and we went to, we were at that bar after his kids started high school season and Uh the grass is always greener. And after two months with a different coach, he was so (laughs) loving that dad like was hugging me and giving me food and like drinks. And so it's like the grass is always greener, but digress, but his kid, great player. I love the kid, but just, you know, kind of to himself and quiet, which is fine. Kids are different, but like, I would have never thought that we had any connection. Me and that kid, like I, I love the kid. And like, I worked hard to give him the best opportunities and the best, but like at the end of the day, I'm a, who I am unabashedly and I'm not for everybody as these podcast listeners can attest. <laughs> we did like, you know, at end of season, you know, I'm hugging everybody. He came around like three times in the hug line. <laughs> it's like this kid, like I just need one more. And it's like, Oh, it was like, great. But like, I, I love that kid to death. And I would have, would have without those three hugs, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, it's just like some kids you don't expect. And so like last night I told everyone and, you know, walking out the parking lot, some parents grabbed me because they had been sharing it amongst themselves during practice. And um, one kid that like, he's a 14 U, so he was in my overall group last year, but I, I take the A group and there's the B group with a different coach and the goalies are even on their own things. So he was a goalie last year with the B group. So like very far disconnected from me. And like, he's, he's been in my group for two, three months. And like, I love the kid. He's been a great, like incre- incredible boon to our group to have him drop in. But like, his dad sent me a thing. He's like, he was bawling getting into the car. It's just like, like this kid who like, again, I love him, but like, I never would have expected him to like have that connection. And I just got a text during this podcast. Maybe I was sounded distant for a moment here on this podcast, more so than usual of like his dad saying that his kid wants to, like they were going to go out of town this weekend and miss practice. And his kid wants to cancel their trip because I've only got four practices left with the team. It's just like, like I'm fucking crying. Like during the podcast, oh. you're like, text me after the podcast. But the thing is, is that that's the impact you have on these kids, Joshi. And I think that's huge. And that's that, that's something that 
you should be really proud of. Oh, I am. That's I, I've done proud of like three things in my life, and that's <laughs> that's definitely the main one. Like, I'm, yeah, and it's. I mean, you are the you're the coach, you know, because we all have coaches. We all have people that impacted us so significantly when we were that age, you know. And in being that person, I think that's so cool, Joshy. I think that's really really cool. No, it's it's incredibly rewarding. Like, I mean, I've said this multiple times, maybe not on this podcast. Like what I do isn't real. It's not a real adult job coaching youth sports. <laughs> what I do isn't real, but I'm really fucking good at what I do. <laughs> like, like I, I do a good job getting these kids, you know, helping to shape these children into humans, you know, as coaches can. I'm not a parent, yeah. but yeah, I, these uh, conversations I've had since I announced it, that I was, I was leaving. I don't see you guys. Cause I care about you more than anyone I've ever met. <laughs> months a month ago no a month and a half ago or so but yeah no it's been um very emotional last couple of days it's uh, going to be the next couple of weeks are going to be incredibly emotional i'm going to cry i cry all the time but like i'm going to cry more <laughs> than i usually do men have emotions too and also joshy <laughs> joshy there's, there's no reason to pretend you don't and crying yeah. is healthy and having emotions is healthy Again, yeah something i try to encourage my boys to understand like toxic masculinity in sports is a huge problem and like a lot of people don't believe in that. And that's fine. Like you don't have to believe in that, that terminology, but the idea that you have to like crush all your emotions and like rah, rah, slam my head against stuff. No going to therapy, you know, like just like, like youth male sports are problematic in that way where like, mm-hmm. again, I'm, I'm obviously far left of a lot of people that listen to this show and a lot of people in my real life. And that's okay. I, I try to be respectful of people's opinions and where, you know, find middle ground with things and you know uh, but the thing too is is kids having a positive influence and people being kind are those are those are universal concepts in my yeah, head. and like kindness is its own reward and again yeah. like, like i said i had my, my my you know adios meeting with these guys and the whole thing was just talking about like what it means to be on a team and like mm-hmm. you know, show up for your boys be excited to show up and work hard. Be excited to compete with the people around you. And when you show the people around you that you're going to work hard for them, they're going to work hard for you. And that's yeah. that's how you have a great team. It's either that or you have a bunch of mercenaries. And those are the only two paths that I know. Yeah. And like the mercenary teams win, but I don't think that's as rewarding as when yeah, the group it's, of dudes it's who sh- the gratification show up. of working together and being a team. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, last year and this year, the first two teams I've ever coached in my 25 year career where I thought like this team could win a national championship. Not we should not. We're the best team in the country. None of those, none of those. I've never (laughs) once thought that, but that you can, we could, if things go right, you get a couple bounces, you know, you get sure you get a, you get a bad call in your favor from the referee here or there. But like we've built something here that like, because of the people that we've encouraged to grow in a certain way. And like I, my, my captain literally will not stop texting me um, <laughs> since I announced, I told him and per, like separately than the rest of the team. Cause I owed it to him because of our relationship before this, you know, like, we'd talked for two years about this coming summer, about how excited we were and what was going to happen. We were going to celebrate in the pool. This in water polo, you jump in when you win. And so like I, as a coach have never won the biggest things. I've never jumped in the water. And that's something we, we, I, Whatever, but you talk about that, like celebrating in the pool when you win something. And like, this is a team that could do that. We have enough talent. I have the mm-hmm. best goalie in the country. I have a top 10 field player and a bunch of other dogs, but I'm leaving because fuck them. Just kidding. Not because fuck them, but it's just interesting 
yeah. the, way th- the way things work. But this is a great team. I'm looking forward to their success and I support them. But I'm also crying because I keep getting text messages from parents like during this te- podcast. So. <laughs> forgive, forgive the sniffles. That's all right. All right. So are we on to quotes? We are on to quotes of the week. Or do we, yikes. I didn't really find any yikes, except other than Ginger's not having soul. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, I think we can all agree that this is the most problematic paragraph, really, in the history of the Dresden Files. Like, you can sexualize corpses all you want, but when you start to disrespect Ginger's... <laughs> You know, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like we are all in agreement if, if on this. Right? If you are unfamiliar with what Joshi looks like, watch the TikToks. Or just <laughs> assume based on these <laughs> sentences. Yeah, no, I, I, yikesy wise. And that's, again, we haven't had, kind of why I mentioned last week, I want to put a pin in that conversation because mm-hmm. I remember the Dresden Molly conversations moving forward different, you know, in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious as to how they will shake out. So, yeah, there have been a lot of things so that you've kind of like, huh, I didn't see it like that. So then that's cool. Like, that's why we do this. Yeah, no, that's why I really love this, this run through. So exciting times because there's not much on the yikes front. We move straight into quotes of the week. What do you have for us? Ice. Um, a lot of mine aren't like snarky or quirky. They're just like, and I've mentioned this several times. The authorities arrived and replaced crisis with aftermath. That one's big for me because I am the aftermath in a lot of crises. Oh, yeah. So that was kind of my impact on that one. And then I use magic. Threw him 30 feet down the aisle through the projector and the movie screen. Green slapped his pen down onto the notebook and gave it a flat hook. <laughs> hey, I said, you asked. I love that. And then it's this green dude. Does calling someone an overbearing, egotistical bitch constitute sexual harassment? Murphy's smile grew sunnier. Come to the gym sometime and we'll discuss it. Let's see. Murphy has more pride than is good for her. And yes, I'm aware of the proverb about glass houses and stones. (coughs) And uh, to do so, you would have to release your hold on mortality. I blinked and said, I'd have to die. She sighed. Again, you only have a partial understanding. But in the interest of expediency, yes, you would have to cease living. Then don't bother enlightening me, I said. I have plenty of would-be teachers already. <laughs> uh, and the last one. You can't be everywhere at once. You can't stop all the bad things that aren't going to happen. Doesn't mean someone shouldn't try. I like that one. Yeah, we touched on that one. It's so yeah. good. And those are it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got... Uh... Stars and stones. I don't want dating advice from a freaking hell tart, <laughs> which I liked, which I've been a big Lashiel defender. So that is uh, similar to what you, the one you said, that you take too much responsibility on yourself. One mm-hmm. where Karen said, you take too much responsibility on yourself, Harry. You're just one man, a good man, but you're still only human. This is what happens when I don't wear the coat. People start thinking I'm not a superhero, which I love. I'm actually gonna do more than you this week. Remind me to lecture you about the interest rate on borrowed trouble. I like that one a lot. And this is my favorite for a reason that I'll get into after I read it. Shoo, Rollins drawled, smiling. Is that little Carrie Murphy I hear down there? I didn't bring my opera glasses to work today. Did you catch the diminutive 
name there? Carrie? Carrie. I just ha- what do you think? I-, I just thought that that's probably what she went by when she was a kid. Oh, exactly. Exactly. But I just love that he throws that in there. Harry doesn't reference it, which is interesting because he obviously hears it. But just thinking about what would happen if our lovable wizard said, called her Carrie Murphy. She would I deck him. Well, I don't think we'd have any more novels. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I feel like it's very much, um, he knew her as a kid. Exactly. We already know that he had some relationship with Jack Murphy. We don't know what. I don't actually know if we know that's his name, and I'm probably ruining things. I, I, I do know that we've had so, he had some relationship yeah. with Murphy's father, but this is the first time we've ever seen that yeah. he had a relationship with her when she was younger as well. Mm-hmm. Presumably. I mean, that's the only reason that makes sense. But I just, I love that that was just thrown in there with no response. She did glare at him. Yeah. But like nothing real came out of it. Again, I just like that. Again, it humanizes Murphy a little bit. Definitely. It brings more about her father. We know her father was presumably a good man. People seem to like him, but he was driven. You know, again, he died by suicide after seeing too many things. And it just, I just really like that one for that exact reason. And that's all I got. That's a good one. So we would be done were it not for the most important part of each pod. You got a little crack potty last week. I hope we continue to get more uh, and more. I, I want you to like tell me about the end. What happens at the apocalypse and how does Mr. Save it? <laughs> um, Hopefully is this week's. The whole Ma- mouse and Molly interaction. There's, I just, I mean, she's got something going. She's got something going. And I think that like, I can, I, I just, in my head, I see her in like on a, standing on a cloud in a ray of light with mouse at her side. <laughs> with a cool <laughs> helmet on. Mouse's helmet or she? Mouse will have a helmet. Of Of course, course, of course. Like, um, oh, what was the cat in He-Man? I know exactly what you're talking about. I do not remember. Well, he was also Prince Adam's cat. Yeah. Let me see. Battle cat. Oh, God damn it. They really were just toys. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Cringer. Yeah, I see that. It was Cringer when he was with, because he was a scaredy cat Uh with Prince Adam, but he turned into battle cat. Mm Mm-hmm. By the power of Grayskull. Of course. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, and, and Skeletor's cat's name was Panthor. <laughs> who serves as an evil counterpart to Battle Cat. Oh, um, poor, I bet those kitties had such good fights. I love it. I love, have you seen? Never mind. This is weird. Getting too inside internet weirdness. <laughs> but Skeletor has made a comeback in meme form. Oh, wow. he's all over the place. With Evelyn. I love it. Oh, I haven't seen Evelyn. Oh, yeah, there's a couple where she's enough. I'll have to send them your way when I come across them. But yeah, that's 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 the uh, that's the the mental image of my crackpot theory of Molly. Okay, okay. The mouse interactions are just so rich, right? Because the first one is very different than the next one. Uh And trying to break down what he's seeing and why and what's different and how it's happening is very interesting. Even obviously Harry has no fucking clue what mouse is getting up to at this point right he even mentions that so very very cool beyond that mister hasn't saved the apocalypse yet but i can't imagine that's too many weeks away exactly i guess that just about does it yeah anything else you want to get us out of here on i'm i you know i had a really lovely time (laughs) so the next couple weeks are going to be fraught 
with excitement. Obviously, this coming this next week will be standard issue. We'll get our six chapters in. The following week, we'll obviously mention this next week, is going to be Thanksgiving. And then the following week after that, I'm going to be moving. So I don't know if we can do a full-sized episode either of those weeks, realistically. We're going to talk and maybe we'll get some short stories out just so we have something, kind of like a little bite-sized episode for both of those. We'll figure it out, but we'll definitely let you know. But I don't think we're going to have our normal schedule of just chewing through this book. I just realistically, Friday's my day. Like, I spend all of Friday, all of Friday editing this thing because I'm not good at it. And I'm also very easily distracted. So it's it's hard to to get it done. And one of them, I'm going to both of those, I'm going to be driving to or from Arizona or to or from Washington. We'll figure it out. I don't actually call it Washington, just so we're clear. Um, that is reference to a friend's mom. Um, <laughs> I'm layers here, people. Focus, pay attention, keep up. But so, yeah, so we'll keep you posted. And we also have gotten tons of requests for the short stories. So I think that actually might be a good time to weave some in. Even though it's in the middle of a novel, I think it'll be fun to kind of take a quick break and have a couple weeks of, A, like I said, they'll be bite-sized. We'll do some real short ones. And the there are some we call micro fictions as well which are short really like a page okay on jimbutcher.com i think there's six or seven now and those are among the there's six of them and they're probably among the the like top 10 most emotional pieces of dresden (laughs) he just picks moments to like destroy the audience and he does so i don't know if we're actually at a point where any of those make sense but if we are i'll pick one but I'll, I'll curate a list and we'll do one or two short stories each week. So again, next week, six chapters, standard operating procedure. After that, we're going to have some, um, some short ones. Like I said, it's the holidays. Hopefully you guys understand. And if you don't, well, I'm sorry, but I love you. And I just, I'm doing my best here. <laughs> but I think you'll mostly understand. And that's why we appreciate you so much. So that and because Lissy like gets a lot of cachet from her friends from having a popular podcast. Like <laughs> she's like, she's like, like intolerable about it. <laughs> I kid, I kid, but we really do appreciate you guys. So thank you so much for that and for life and experiences and understanding and drop downloading and emailing and texting and questioning and joining the podcast family, the family, the familia, familia de podcast. As they say, that's probably what they say. I'm sure they do. <laughs> we are at all the things. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com. We have ourselves a patreon.com slash the podcast was on fire. We're everywhere. <laughs> patreon.com slash the podcast was on fire. We are at the things. We got an X. We got a Mastodon. Sometimes they get checked more often than others. The Facebook comes directly to my phone. I just screwed up my chrome so none of my passwords exist anymore so i can't even log on i haven't known my facebook password in years so i can't log into that on my computer but i can on my phone Uh, everything is good on my phone but beyond that really appreciate you guys uh tell somebody you don't know heck yeah don't do that don't do that tell someone you do know who (laughs) doesn't know about us don't just like don't just accost random old ladies on the street like they're i mean if they're wearing a leather duster you might that is actually true. Leather duster, <laughs> invisible hat, wizard staff. 
you got to hit them up. <laughs> Anyone else, though, just, you know, introduce yourself first. But uh, we got a fair few Patreon numbers. Uh, yeah, those guys are, and gals, those human beings are the, the humanest of all the beings, the best of all the things. We appreciate you desperately. Um, hit us up. Check us out. Patreon.com slash the podcast was on fire, mostly because Lissa's awesome. Also because she's <laughs> out, she has so many siblings. They can't all suck. <laughs> I've been Josh. And I am Alyssa. With the podcast was on fire. Seems fault. It was not at all. It wasn't your fault at all. No. Podcast music. <laughs> Doing stuff in one sec. Not podcast stuff. Doing podcast stuff. Who are you talking to? Talking to you. Okay. I'm doing podcast stuff. Yeah, no shit. So give me a second. That's why I'm taking a second to do podcast stuff.